Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of The Story Podcast. As always, I am your host, Harris III, and in this episode, we are throwing it back once again to the Story 2022 stage, this time one of the breakout stages where some of you were able to listen into all things writing and book publishing with our friends, David and Melissa. David Goetze and Melissa Parks, they're from this really cool organization they founded called Journey 66, where they're helping a thriving community of writers of all different types, really. They're coaching and guiding them uh, in their community through things like manuscript review, writing, coaching, what to do with your manuscript as you edit it and you get prepped for publishing, review, so many good things. And out of all the breakouts that story, this is one that we continually heard rave reviews about. And sometimes when we look back at uh, the comments and chat transcripts and how engaged people were, we're like, oh my gosh, that was like one of the little secret winners um, that a lot of, too many people, I should say, too many people missed. And so we heard so many great things. We want to give this one to you by way of this podcast episode. Um, and it's super relevant to everyone. I remember when I was working on my books and it just, <laughs> honestly, it was like a isolating experience. Um, it felt so often because you're head down in your work, you're working hard, not just to get it all down, but then organizing it, you're second guessing yourself, <laughs> wondering what the next steps are. And if you're doing that in isolation, it, it can be really hard and doing it in community is so much better. And so I love the way that the team at Journey 66, both Melissa um, and David have done this because uh, it's just the way that I think change and good work most effectively happens, and that is in community. So even if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not writing a book or even I'm not even a writer at all, hang in there. Still encourage you to listen to this breakout talk here on this episode because you never know what the future holds as you continue your creative journey. And there have been a lot of episodes like this in the past where someone said, this isn't relevant to me because I'm not doing that type of work. And it's this episode itself that creates the space and environment in which they realize it is time to them for them to step into doing that kind of work. Um, all right, here's the sort of the, some some of the key takeaways and audio from this incredible breakout experience from David and Melissa from Journey 66 here on the Story Podcast. Let's listen in. Thank you so much for having us. We are excited to be here. As you mentioned, we are the co-founders of Journey 66, and we founded Journey 66 with that name because we were thinking of writing as one long road trip. And Route 66, if you're familiar with it, actually starts in Chicago, which is where Dave and I are from, and ends in Santa Monica at the Pierre. And so as you think of your writing journey, think of it as a road trip. That's what we like to do at Journey 66. And sometimes you have breakdowns and you stall and you have to take a break and you go off road. And that's totally normal in the writing life. And sometimes you have stretches where you are moving along and you make a lot of progress. And we like to help writers in all areas, you know, when they're stuck and also when they're making great progress, just to continue to help them make progress. And so that's what we are passionate about. We're passionate about helping writers write put their stories into words, which is why we're here today. We're going to share the elements of how to write your story. Several years ago, Melissa and I were in Southern California about a week before Christmas. And so you might think that Christmas should be in Tennessee or Colorado, but you should go to Seal Beach, 
a beautiful oceanside city just south of L.A., near Christmas. It, the sun was out. The waves are crashing on the beach. We were there, though, to work on a book project with an executive who had just sold his business. He had written a book previously about cancer, and his cancer had returned. And he was now thinking very, very seriously about the end of his life. So we were there on this beautiful day. He invited us into his condo. We were there. We started to interview him. We had worked with him on this previous project. And you could see there was a actually a canister of, uh, what would you call that, like a, for, for breathing, because he was now struggling to breathe. The cancer was back. So it was one of the most interesting two hours that we had had because he'd have to stop and then he'd start again. And after about 90 minutes to two hours, he said, hey, you want to walk to the beach? And we said, sure. So we walked to the beach and it was just this gorgeous afternoon at Seal Beach. And on the way back, he said, you know, I'm really, really tired. We need another session. Can we do it tonight and meet tonight for dinner? So we thought, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. So he came that night for dinner and he had just undergone his first chemo the day before. And so by this time, he was so exhausted. He could hardly hold his head up. And yet he fiercely answered every question that we had, even though he was in this moment where he was really counting the days of his life. And one of the things that struck us after this tremendous session with him, and I think it was so impressionable upon us because we're all in this moment where we have stories to tell, and sometimes we don't know why we're writing those stories, but he knew why. His life was short, and he wanted to talk, and the subject actually was about generosity. So today, as we talk about the elements of storytelling, we all typically have this deep desire, and sometimes we can't even explain it, why we want to write. But there are certainly some reasons why we want to write, and maybe you can identify with a few of the reasons that we're going to present right now. Some of us write just simply to make sense of the crazy world that we live in and some of the hurts that we've experienced in the past and things that rumble around inside of us and we don't exactly know what they mean to us and we want to make sense of that. And I think of my sister, two years ago in November, um, her son passed away. She went into his room one morning and woke him up to do his, um, his chores and he had passed away in the night and that was after putting him to bed the night before, totally healthy. He was um, 19 years old. And as you can imagine, losing a child at any stage of your life is really, really difficult. But losing a child when you're not expecting it is is it's crushing. And you experience this deep sadness that you've never, ever experienced before and you couldn't even articulate. And she was so confused and so hurt. And so about two months into the grieving, she began to write to make sense of all this grief. And she decided to write letters to her, her son, Sam. And through that, she, be able, she was able to give words to her grief. Some of it was anger. Some of it was confusion. Some of it was even hope. So you might be like my sister, where you want to write your story, to make sense of your life story. Dave, what are some other reasons why people write? Another reason maybe just for purpose or not just, but for purpose in your life. Uh, we worked with an author recently who grew up with a father who was this prominent person. So as he describes it, he grew up in the land of the giants. His dad was this Jewish rabbi who had uh, this tremendous reputation in the community. And so he always felt small in comparison to his father. So later in his life, he wrote a book called The Quest 
for legitimacy, how children of prominent families can find their place in this world. And when you have to find your identity, when your father or your mother has been this person who was this giant in the community, you have to kind of figure things out. So he wrote to find purpose in his life, and it supported his consulting work actually later in his life. So that's another reason why we find purpose in our life. And then still another one might be to serve other people. I had a friend who lost a son as well. And but it was at he was at six years old when my friend lost his son. And my, my son, his son was was six years old. And he wrote a book about 20 years later called Grief Set Free. And it was to serve all those who had lost. Uh, children and and one segment was mothers against drunk driving. Even though his son didn't die in that way, he he wanted to help, and so he has served all these other communities with his story. And so, as we think about our story, sometimes it's to serve other people. And then there's one final reason, which I think sometimes we don't even know why, <laughs> and I think that's okay. When I moved uh, from North Dakota to Chicago, I grew up in North Dakota. You probably don't even know anybody that grew up in North Dakota. But when I moved there, I was just shocked at at the cultural change in the suburbs. So I began to make observations. Like one of the observations I would make is like, why are these size four or size two women driving these big SUVs? It was odd to me because in North Dakota, we have these harsh winters it just seemed like in the suburbs, you wouldn't need it for an inch of snow. You wouldn't need this big vehicle. Of course, I didn't fully understand why you need a big vehicle. But long story, over time, I didn't know why I was observing all these things. But eventually, out of out of that came this book, uh, Death by Suburb, How to Keep the Suburbs from Killing Your Soul. So I realized I was struggling with some of these issues. So sometimes you find out later as you're writing why you're actually writing the book. All right. So we're going to give you five strategies for helping you put your story into words. And the first is a mindset shift. Dave, help us understand the mindset shift that we have to have when we want to put our stories into words. I think it's overwhelming when you first start to think about it. And I think the first mindset shift, this is our first element of the five, is this idea that not to write for the mass market, but you're writing for a small audience, even a person. And so there's a marketer named Seth Godin who has the phrase smallest viable audience. And it's this idea that if you're creative and you're starting anything, you're not doing it for everyone. You're doing it for someone. Does that make sense? So as you think about the starting to put your story to words, to start to write your story, it can be overwhelming to think about who is this book for. And I think you realize it's not for everyone. It's not a mass market book. It's for someone. It's for a human being. And I think that gives us a lot of freedom to start to write because all of a sudden we don't have to, there's not as much pressure about publishing with a traditional publisher or where that's going to go. We have this phrase, and Melissa came up with this, but I didn't come up with it. I looked it up. Okay. So well, why don't you tell everybody about, about this? Right. This transformed the way I thought of publishing because we were doing a podcast on publishing and what does it mean to publish? So I looked up the etymology of the word publish and it simply means to make public. And in my mind, it's so freeing to have that because it's not publishing isn't to get an editor 
and, you know, get in with a big publishing house and new, sell in New York, in New York and yeah. sell lots of copies or be known worldwide. Publish is simply to make your your words known and to influence others. And you can have huge influence with just one person. That is such a great place to start. So that really is the first element. The first element of writing your story is this mindset shift that you move off of the mass market. It's for everyone and start thinking more specifically of who that is for. Which leads us to our second element of writing your story. And that has to do with your ideal audience. And if you've done any sort of work in publishing, you probably are familiar with this world word, the ideal audience, but it's simply a, a fancy word to say, who is it that you're writing for? And you probably have had ideal audiences for all of your writing. Think about in high school, your ideal audience was probably your high school English teacher, right? <laughs> you wrote a certain way to connect with that audience. Think about your social media groups. Um, my husband is part of a group called the Snarky Citizens of Just Plains, which is where I live in the Chicagoland area. So you can imagine in that group, you can write with an air of sarcasm. That's what the audience is capable of accepting. I may not go on that group because that's not my mode, but you can see how you have an audience in mind with all of your writing. And the same goes true when you begin to make your words public in a more formal way, like in, in mag magazine articles or articles for a newsletter or even a book down the road. And an ideal reader simply has to do with the mindset of your reader. And when you get really narrow with that mindset, with who that person is, suddenly you understand what is important to them, what questions they might have that you can answer. And that really drives your idea for your writing project. So as you think about your ideal reader, who is that, who is that person? And so sometimes you're the ideal reader. You're writing for yourself. And that's that's good to know. So in the instance of Cresta, who is uh, Melissa's sister, she is writing those letters to Sam for herself. Now, someday down the road, she might want to make those public and maybe it would take on a different form. So that's really important to know is who are you writing for? So who is your ideal reader? Your ideal reader is this second component. The second thing is you might be writing for your family. That's really good to know if you're writing for your family. Maybe it's not just you, but maybe you come from a family and they, you want to tell their immigration story or you might want to uh, tell their story of overcoming something. A lot of families who, in, for example, in the ultra high net worth space, they have this deep need to tell how their family has survived and thrived through all these generations. So the question is, who is your ideal reader? For me, my family uh, has been in the United States for over 100 years. And at the 100-year mark, somebody put together a book. I was not the person that did that for our family. But again, who is your ideal reader? Is it your family? And then as you start to think about a wider audience, some of you may want to write memoirs. You may want to write nonfiction or narrative nonfiction. I had a friend who was a, well, even, not really a friend, an acquaintance that I knew who had been a professional writer and near the end of his career wanted to write a memoir, but he couldn't because his mom was still alive and he wanted to tell the stories of his fundamentalist upbringing and he didn't want to hurt his mom. So as you start to think about 
your larger audience, that lar- who that our larger audience is really matters. So and in the case of him, his audience was this other people like him who had grown up into in the fundamentalist homes and also his past readers. Absolutely. And still you might find your ideal audience and those whom you want to serve. So um, we have worked with an author who is working on a book on hospitality, radical hospitality is what she calls it, and is reaching out to the margin, the marginalized um, homeless people, refugees, um, people that really don't have home. And so many people are afraid of people who are others, especially mothers who want to protect their children from danger. There's this dichot- weird dichotomy, stranger danger, yet we want my- our children to be to be service-minded. And so she had this idea for this book of how she could tell her family's story of inviting in people who mm-hmm. are on the fringes in a way to inspire others. So you can think of her her ideal audience being that mother who wants to protect her children yet expose her children. So these are all these the second element of about finding your ideal reader and it's it's one of these journeys and you work at that as you're thinking about telling your story and getting your story into the world. Who's going to read the story if it's just you? Is it just your family or is it a wider audience? All right, which once you have that ideal reader in mind, that really informs this third element of writing your story, which is identifying your big idea. And your ideal reader and your big idea really interact. And they once you start to develop your big idea, your reader becomes even more focused and vice versa. But the meta idea is that idea which governs your story. You can't simply put in every story you have in your life. You have to think about the idea that ties everything together because you want to say something important. You want to influence people. And in order to influence people, you have to have something very specific to say. We think often that general is better, that we'll have a wider audience, but in actuality, being more specific is actually more engaging. Dave, do you want to tell a story to help illustrate this? So, Let's just say, for example, that I wanted to write a memoir on a section of my life. So I grew up on the prairies of North and South Dakota, and my parents, because they, I think they thought I was troubled, <laughs> they sent me away at 14 to a boarding school 250 miles away on the prairies of South Dakota. So my high school class had 16 people in it. Actually, it had 17 until about a month before graduation. Somebody got fired. Uh, somebody got kicked out. One of our <laughs> classmates got kicked out of school. He was really bad. But anyway, so but it was it, it was it was one of this really a crazy experience. So if I said, OK, I'm going to write a memoir on those four years, I couldn't put in every story. I mean, so if I were thinking about how to begin to think about writing that memoir, I would probably, we have this little hack where you write out all your major stories and then you list all your minor stories. Now you're not writing them, you're just listing them. So I would probably list all these different stories from the four years. And what would one of your primary stories so be? So one of my primary stories, one of my primary stories would be- I've heard be, this a few times. Yes, you have. <laughs> was my sophomore year. It was about this time, um, my sophomore years, it was in September and I was doing a speech class and I was in wrestling. I was in all the sports and I asked a friend to come up and it was a demonstration speech. His name was Carson. And Carson was sitting with his girlfriend near the front of the class. So he came up and we were going to show the switch. So the guy on the bottom ends up being on top. So Carson was on the bottom and he did this switch and my hand fell out, my face hit the floor and I broke out my two front teeth. 
right there in front of the class. So I stand up and I'm dazed. I have blood coming out of my mouth and I finished the speech. And then they send me to the principal's office and somebody, some faculty member takes me 40 miles to the nearest dentist. So I would list that story because that is a dominating or not a dominating, that is a leading story in my life. As I think about the loneliness of living alone with my colleagues and my peers, my students, but without my parents. And what that experience was like was, was this going through this painful surgery and all putting caps on my, on my teeth without any family. Right. So Dave, I'll just reiterate that you write your primary stories and then your secondary stories. And often when you do this exercise, if they were to list out many more, all of a sudden you start to see this theme crop up that is more prevalent than any other theme. And that's when you have a pretty good idea of what your idea is. But at Journey 66, we love to help our writers think of a meta idea, what you're going to write about in terms of a subject and a complement. An idea can be broken into two components, a subject and a complement. And the subject is, what am I going to write about? And the compliment is, what am I going to say about what I'm writing about? So, Dave, in the instance of this memoir that you're not really writing but <laughs> might write, what would no. the subject be? So, the subject would be, I want to write about my years at this boarding school from age 14 to age 18. Simple. That's, That's very subject. simple. That's what I want to write okay, about. Okay, but what is your compliment? What do you want to say about what you're writing about? What I want to say about it is that how the loneliness of being away from my parents created this opportunity for great friendships, but also probably for some deep dysfunctional relationships <laughs> as well that I probably had to work through for the rest of my life. So it, so, so if you put the subject and the compliment together, you have your idea. So you, my idea would be this book is about the loneliness and how it affected me both with deep friendships and also dysfunctional relationships that affected me for the rest of my life. All right, which leads us to our fourth element of writing your story. And this is something that follows your ideas. How are you going to make your idea known to your readers? And that has to do with structure. Every story has a narrative arc. You're probably going to hear that over and over again at Story Conference. You probably hear it often. And a narrative arc is simply a way of thinking of a story as having a beginning and an end and the journey that happens from that spot to the end. And you take readers from one spot to the other spot and transformation happens. And it's not always positive transformation, but something, there's a change that happens. And along the way, there are all these problems and all these, these things that come up, complications that come up that have to be addressed and resolved. And that creates tension throughout. And you need that tension to tell your story because there are so many opportunities for readers to bail and go read something else or turn on Netflix that you have to create tension to engage your ear. Think about the Netflix shows that you binge, right? At the end, they resolve some of the story, but then they raise conflict again so that you will continue <laughs> watching that story. And that's the same thing you have to do when thinking about writing your story. You want to think of the beginning and the end, and then how are you going to engage the reader throughout with tension? Dave, you have a great example of this. Well, we actually have a line here too that oh, is that's right. The Don't forget which the is, line. <laughs> yeah, so the reason structure is so important, right, is 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 for the reader, right? You're trying to keep the readers, you know, you're trying to keep their attention, and I'm telling you that 
it's a lot harder putting story to words, I think, than actually speaking stories. Now, there are some similarities, but when you put your stories to words, you have to actually think about structure and structure is for tension. So we have this line, when the, t- when the, when the tension of the story has been released, the story is over whether you're done telling it or not. And you know this from books that you get into about the middle of the of the of the of the novel or whatever it is you're reading. You go, I, I'm lost. I'm, I'm no, done. I'm done. I'm no longer interested. So, as a writer, you have to think about that narrative arc or the story arc. This is all structure to deal with the issue of how do you keep the reader's interest. So, there's a phrase. It, it's a Latin phrase. It's called in media rays, in media rays. And it means in the middle of, and this is kind of a hack as you think about writing your story. Let's say that you have gotten to the point where you, you've just done this exercise where you list out all your major stories. You've got all the minor ones you're thinking about. You have selected, you look at all this, you think, how am I going to put all this together? How am I going to put this all together? This idea is, in medias res, means that you start with the action that is most relevant. So you start as close to the action as possible. So a good example of this, there was a book, it's been a a few years, called Into Thin Air. It was written by John Krakauer. You probably remember that name. He's also been, uh, there was a movie uh, that he actually helped. He did another couple books um, under the under the blue. Under the banner. Under the banner, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So anyway, he's this journalist, but he, in 1996, he went and did this, he summited Mount Everest. And he went on this trip because he wanted to do some reporting on all the problems that were happening on the trail up and down. Because all of a sudden people started paying, they'd pay like a hundred grand so that they could go up and say they went to Mount Everest. But there was a lot of death that was happening. So he wanted to record that. Well, on his trip, there was a couple, I think three tragic deaths. And in that year, there were 12. So he wrote this book, Into Thin Air. Now, if you're John Krakauer, you've done all your research, you've got all these stories, and you think, how am I going to structure this book? Well, one idea would be to start at the beginning when he first decided that he was going to summit Mount Everest. He could do that. That's a chronological start. You start at the beginning and then you just roll it out. The problem with that is that's not all that interesting. Instead, he started that book when he was right at the summit of Mount Everest. He was gasping for air and he was cold. He was hungry. He wasn't sure he was going to even make it back down to base camp. And so that is a good example of in medias res, as close to the action as possible. And it's a way to think about, as you think about these elements, and it's a, these are all kind of hacks to get going, right, to get started. Think about the story that is the most gripping story. Begin there. And then you can do flashbacks. You can restructure based on other things. So as you think about the all these different elements, structure is so important because when the tension of the story is released, the story is over, <laughs> whether you're done telling the story or writing the story or not. Awesome. So we're going to move into our fifth element of writing your story. And this really has to do with what we like to call story showing. You're at a storytelling conference and we want to help you learn how to show versus tell. And that's a big phrase that editors and writing coaches tell the writers all the time. You need to show and not tell. And so we want to help you do that because 
when you do show versus tell, you engage the reader in an emotional and human way that you can't when you just simply spew out information, which is what so many people do in in memoirs, isn't it, Dave? Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever read a memoir where it's all thinking, right? They're reflecting on the past. Well, that's just not interesting. So I want to say this really clearly. We're at a storytelling conference, but for writers, it's story showing. Writers don't tell. They show. And because they don't have the visual, right? You can't, you don't have a big PowerPoint slide to have a nice, beautiful image. We're at this, we were at this session here earlier and it was just so fabulous. The speakers were fabulous and the, the slides, the graphics, you just don't have that, right? You have words. And so you have to use words to show. So it's story showing as a writer. It's not storytelling. And so we've come up with an acronym. Yeah. And the acronym is called ACTS, ACTS, A-C-T-S, like the acts of a play. We've actually didn't come up with it. Uh, a friend named Steve Matthewson, who's a linguist and has a PhD in linguistics, came up with this idea about stories, about how do you write stories. So the first A stands for action. If you're going to write a story, to show a story, your story has to have action. We just talked about the John Krakauer story, Into Thin Air, and he he starts the scene as he's gasping for air, as he's summiting Mount Everest. And so action, your, 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 your novel, your memoir, your nonfiction piece, your narrative nonfiction, whatever it is you're writing, stories have action. And so as you think about how to write the story, Ask yourself the question, what is the action, not just in the whole arc of the story, but in this specific scene? All right. That leads us to C, and C is for characters. Every story has great, memorable characters. In fact, if you think about the last novel that you read or maybe the last Netflix series that you watched, you remember the characters more than you remember the the stories, the specifics of a story. I think of Better Call Saul. Our family finished watching that. And I I remember Saul. There's a lot of stuff in the story that I don't remember, but I remember Saul because he's a complicated character. You want to hate him, but you also have a lot of sympathy for him. And that's what makes a great character is a complex human. And when you think of writing your characters, think of it that way. How can you add depth to your characters? They're not completely heroic, especially if you're writing a memoir about yourself. You don't want to paint yourself as entirely heroic. And you don't want to paint yourself entirely as the victim either, because that's just not how humans are. We are both and, and we have a a diverse set of of emotions and experiences. So when you think about your characters, think about how you can make them as complex and diverse as possible. All right. We have action. We have characters. So the T is, you have to to track with me on this one, it's talking. So (laughs) if you're going to write stories, stories are written certain ways to keep people's interest. And one of them is talking or dialogue. We The real word is dialogue, but we use talking to get our little acronym. You see what (laughs) we did here. So every story has dialogue. And so your memoir, your nonfiction book, your novel, whatever it is you're writing needs to have this dialogue or conversation among or between the characters. And so dialogue or talking helps move the story along. It reveals character when someone says something about themselves. So as you're writing 
if you're writing a memoir, sometimes you have to reconstruct scenes and reconstruct this talking, but it's a key element of writing a compelling story. So T stands for talking. Every story has talking. All right. And our fourth is S, which is for setting. And when you write a story, you have to bring in your reader to the place in which your characters are, right? You want them to experience it fully because when they're invested in the story, when they feel like they are there with you, then they want to keep on reading. And setting, you have, and this is a good example of showing versus telling. I love this example. Say you write, I stood out on the corner on a cold day waiting for my bus. That's fine. You kind of know what it's like to stand outside on the corner on a cold day waiting for a bus. However, it was a, a rainy day where you just are drenched because you forgot your umbrella and cars are coming by and splashing puddles up on you and you're just miserably cold and you are raw to the bone. That kind of cold? Or is it the polar vortex cold like in Chicago where you are bundled from head to toe and you cannot feel your toes cold and the the there's blizzard whiteout conditions and you can't even see if the if the bus is coming that's a different kind of cold you see the difference so when you create settings think of creating imagery and tapping into all of the senses that humans experience touch taste um, scent smell those will all help you bring the reader in and and invite them into actually experiencing what your characters are experiencing Wow. So those are the five elements and those are really key to getting off and, and starting uh, and getting starting on your writing journey. So I do think we should end though with another mindset. Maybe this is number six. Is this number okay. six? This is number six. It's a bonus. We this came up with it. <laughs> and this is to think of your writing journey as a sprint rather than a marathon. I don't know if there are any marathons out there any marathoners out there, but it takes a lot of time to prepare and run, prepare for and run a marathon. And if you're writing, you're probably doing it in the scenes of your life because you probably have a career and writing your story is something that you're going to do after hours, right? And so you don't have a lot of time and you may not even have a whole lot of extra energy. You're doing it after you put your kids down, after you've done your service activity. And so we like to think of writing in terms of sprinting a hundred meters, you can do that, right? You can you can spend a half hour to an hour, an hour and a half doing something related to your writing project. And then you rest, you recover, which is actually a really wonderful thing because it's in the recovery that our ideas mature and we get new ideas and maybe we find a fresh direction to head. And then maybe the next day or a few days later, you do another sprint. And it's a really freeing way to think of it because I mean, how many people like start training for a marathon and give up because it's just way too big of a task? It's just too big. And if you've never written before, then it's even more overwhelming. So think of writing your story as a sprint rather than a marathon. Dave, is there anything you would add to that? So we, we <laughs> it reminds me, we did an interview with uh, a, a person who's a writer and yet she has a full-time job, yet she's written like three or four books. I don't know how she does it, but she talked about writing in the seams of her life, right? But a short sprint for her would be, she'd be washing her, she'd be watching her son in the tub and she'd be sitting on the toilet, obviously with the lid down <laughs> and, and, and working on her, on working on her book. And so, you know, her son's safe. She could do that. And then yet she could actually make progress. She could work. She found out she could do 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So I think as you think about this, it could be. We learned this idea, by the way, that 
that writing is, should be th- thought of as a sprint, not a marathon, by a man, his name is Tony Schwartz, and he has a, a organization called the Energy Project. And it's, it's how you manage energy in your life. But he had a book contract, and then the publisher came to him and said, you know what, if you don't get it by, done on the, dead, on the deadline that we asked you for, we're going to cancel your contract because there was a shift in the economy. They were going to cut a bunch of books. So he needed three months to get this book done. And so he wrote in 90-minute increments, and then he'd take a 30-minute rest. Sometimes he only wrote 90-minute increments. Sometimes he would write 90 minutes, take 30 minutes, write another 90 minutes. The point simply is, think of your writing as a series of short sprints. It's amazing how much progress you can make. If you think of it as a marathon, you may never get the project done. So think of it as a series of short sprints. And even today, if you're thinking about what your story is and one 100 meter sprint that you could be doing is identifying that ideal reader. You can do that, right? You can identify that ideal reader. Maybe another one is another 100 meters is writing down those primary and secondary stories that you think could be the basis for either a narrative nonfiction or a memoir, maybe your family story. You can do that. That's another hundred meters. So don't think of it as completing a book, which can be really overwhelming, but what can you break it down into? So much great stuff in this breakout, in this conversation. I hope that whether you're working on writing a book or thinking about writing a book, that you consider joining this community in order to be resourced and supported in your book writing journey. We used to even do some of this work at Story based on the demand, based on people coming to us going, hey, I'm struggling to get this project off the ground, or I'm working on this creative vision that I have for this project. I'm just doing it too much in isolation. And we don't even do much of that work anymore because there's amazing communities out there uh, like Journey 66. And it's like, guys, they, they are way better at this than they are. They're doing it better than anyone else we know. And so go consider learning more about what they're up to. Okay. So again, whether you're working on writing a book or you've been thinking about writing a book, or maybe you've had a dream of writing a book and been putting that off for years, consider joining this community so that you can get resourced and supported in your book writing journey. Um, knowing that you have a community in your corner as you navigate some of this, sometimes often confusing or isolating paths, it can really bring confidence to your writing and editing process. Plus here at Story, we're just really big fans of community, as you know, and community building, as you can tell. So to learn more about David and Melissa and what they're doing through Journey 66, check them out. It's journey66.com. Let me spell that out for you. It's journey, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y, 60, spelled out, S-I-X-T-Y, but then just the number six.com. Journey 60, S-I-X-T-Y, and then the number six, dot com, journey66.com. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening in. We have, get ready for this, one, just one, one final episode of this season coming next week as we close out an incredibly rich season six of the Story Podcast. After that episode, we're going to be inviting you into some new and exciting things that we have been dreaming up and have been coming down the story pipeline for a long time. As we begin to unroll this next chapter of story for you, you're not going to want to miss this, um, is you guys at the center of this incredible community of storytellers who are telling stories that matter. So stay tuned. I'm Harris III. If you have any questions or thoughts, never hesitate to get in touch. Email me, harris at astoria.com, astoria with an I, harris at istoria.com. And if you haven't already, we'd love for you to keep Uh, Help us keep this podcast in the top one and a half percent of podcasts in the world. 
One of the ways you could do that is by helping us make it better. Send us your suggestions. Let us know what you thought. But also just go ahead and take just a second to click that five-star rating. Leave a review. It'll help us do just that. Thank you in advance. We appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Talk to you again very soon. The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.